What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. How do we weaponize data for good rather than for blame in building authentic elite teams? My name is CT. I'm co-founder of Engage Rocket. And with me in the studio today to help answer this question is Tony Cornett. Tony is the chief talent officer at Cytel. Cytel is the largest provider of statistical software and advanced analytics for clinical trial design and execution. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show today, Tony. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Tony, tell us a little bit more about what Cytel does. Um, so, so as you said, we're the largest provider of uh, stats software and advanced analytics uh, in clinical trial design. So we work with uh, a lot of uh, big pharma, um, other research organizations, things of that nature, and, and helping biotech and pharmaceutical companies uh, really uh, j just navigate what they need from an analytics standpoint <clears throat> and really taking that data, which is when you, you go through these clinical trials or you're working through whatever the case may be internally in, in this industry is data is everything. So being able to have advanced analytics interpretation, that's what we provide. So it's a little bit almost like a Tableau or a Power BI for the big pharma. Probably not in an application. We have a couple of software offerings and then we also do what we call FSP or as we're starting to call it, like analytics on demand. And what that is, we'll actually put our people out into big pharma or, or other clients to do biostats, biostatisticians, stats programmers, clinical data managers, people like that. And then we also run large projects from that as well. So it's multi tips of the spear that we go into that just to make sure that not only can we from a software offering, manage control data for you, give you the ability to do that, but we can also deploy experts in the industry to come out and actually lead that for you as well. So your chief talent officer, what does your day-to-day -day look like? I oversee just everything in our talent acquisition organization. So I, I work a lot with our executives on understanding what it is that, that they really need and how we can achieve that. I look at it in three different ways. So, so three tier, there's, there's strategy, then there's execution, and then there's delivery. So oversee the strategy and the teams that do the execution and delivery of those things across our enterprise and uh, work a lot on talent strategy as well. Like how do we find these people? How do we attract them to our organization? You know, how we recruit them? What types of experiences do they have? Just anything you would probably take in the realm of talent acquisition, but just taking it up sort of one notch higher from a strategic approach. From what you're saying, it sounds like this is a pretty specialized talent market. We, we've got an amazing team. We're really good at knowing where this talent exists. We're really good at knowing what motivates them to make a move, what things they want, and then also how to keep them and retain them, providing a, a great environment for them to be challenged, work on pretty cool technology, but also just give them the ability to show their skills and grow their own careers. And it's been a journey, really, as we map the markets and look for this talent, how that talent moves and ebbs and flows across uh, different regions, different entities. We have a great team who's really great at research and understanding 
uh, this talent and engaging with them. When we look at different aspects of building elite teams, we spoke a lot about culture. It's almost this kind of operating system for the team and having that be an environment that each of these very talented individuals can come to work and be the best version of themselves. Right. So how have you thought about using data to support that goal? Yeah, uh, great question. And obviously being a data company, it's, it's really important here. It, it leads into this. Data is, has no emotion. It's absolute. If you put bad info in, you may get corrupt data. But when you're looking at it for all intents and purposes, it is emotionless. So a lot of times the way we look at data is we really want to know what moves the needle. So um, I'm a big believer that you measure everything. It doesn't mean you broadcast that to everyone that you're measuring everything. You need to know as a talent acquisition leader what your ratios are. So those yield ratios, let's take time to fill. It's usually speed, quality, cost. They, they go straight to that time to fill, but there's so much more made up of that time to fill. In our culture, we look to use the data to solve a problem. So in that instance, time to fill. <clears throat> let's say it's 56 days. And a lot of people will run to judgment. That's too long, or that's this, or that's that. And not really understanding what that's made up of. But when you dig deeper, like what's time to apply, time to disposition, time to review, time to screen, time to submit, time to interview, time to offer, time to hire, time to onboard. When you look at all those things, you can really diagnose what the problem is. So rather than running to choke a throat and saying you've done something wrong or you're not moving fast enough or this is not acceptable, you, you may see that it's taking the interview team 20 of those days to, to interview, right? So we could speed that up and maybe find where the root cause is. So our team's understanding, our culture is not one overly assigned blame. It's a culture to really figure out where, hey, this is what's working. This is what's not. How can we be the best version of ourselves? And we use data to do that. Having that culture of truth seeking, right? Everyone's just trying to understand and look for what the truth is. And we seek that truth in the data on what the truth is. I want to pick up a little bit on what you said about data being emotionless. One of the things in, in, in my experience anyway, is that data in itself also doesn't really tell a story. So you can't say, we'll let the data decide for certain right. decisions right. because the data doesn't decide. The data is right. just there. As a, as a professional, we have to look at the data and then craft a story around that. And that's where the emotion starts creeping in. Right depending on our individual biases and so on. How, how have you dealt with this in your team? You have to get really good at interpreting the data. Going back to that previous example, when you break things apart, you always ask why. That's the number one question. You, you don't rush to judgment. You, you ask yourself, why is it taking 20 days? Why is it doing this? Why is it doing that? And it's a discovery process. The more you do that, the better you get at it. So you may see anomalies that we can't hire enough people or we can't hire them fast enough, or we need them under these deadlines. And, and you may go and look at it and it shows all these yields, but then as you discover, and you're right, that's where the story is told in the interpretation of the data. So you take data, which has metrics, you turn those metrics into analytics, you interpret that data, and then you can predict, then you have predictive analytics, or you have analytics that are able to repeat. So that helps your organization scale and you develop trends and things like that. There, there was an instance when I first got here, I called it terminal velocity. It was as fast as we could move. What I found out was we were overloading the interviewers and you break out what the business is trying to accomplish. I think it was something like 2,800 interviews. 
And when you tell that to a hiring leader who says they want to do all this, they look at you and they're like, we don't have time to do that. So what are we going to do? How are we going to be more efficient around that? And that's where your value comes because you've interpreted it, you've used data, you've made a logical decision, you've explained it well, and then you get buy-in from people to support and work with you on that initiative. So you don't have like recruiters going against HR business partners and HR business partners going against hiring managers and all these things. You have this collective ecosystem where everyone can work harmoniously because you're focused on solving problems, not assigning blame. I, I can see how the talent acquisition team is going to say, we've tried our best. We've sent three emails to the hiring managers, but they're not just not responding and not giving back the schedules. And the hiring managers, oh, we're busy, man. So the way to resolve that piece is actually the culture piece because that the culture of looking at data to help identify areas to solve all what the key issues are in areas that need optimization mm-hmm. only shine a light on the problem but the people are the ones that actually need to come together and solve that problem so how do you go about creating that culture where there's no kind of aha moments like aha gotcha this is your problem right and this is not my problem you have to create a culture of transparency and when i say that it's good and bad You've probably heard if you treat people like adults, they behave like adults. And if you treat them like children, they'll behave like children. You got to be very transparent in that culture. And what you do by that is you create a safe place because you're allowing people to make decisions based upon the information that they receive rather than telling them what they're going to do and dictating certain things. So I think it creates a very safe place. And then also as a leader, leaders create other leaders. They don't collect followers. That's why you have to be really careful with data in that culture. I think my team would tell you that I don't use it to hold them accountable for like micro types of things. For example, I will never ask them, how many calls did you make today? Or I never ask them to to do things that are just very micro based to hit a quota. It's all about quality and understanding what it is. So being transparent and telling them, this is what we're measuring and this is why that we're measuring. This is what we're trying to discover and trying to find out. So we're focused on that. And then it creates a safe place because people aren't trying to hide things because they know that you just want to know the truth to help them. And as you approach the business and your partnerships in the business, I think it takes a lot of, from our culture is being advisory. Like you just made an example of where there's a scheduling issue and they say they're too busy. As a good recruiter, you become that advisor to them and you step into those greater business conversations and you say things like, If this isn't a priority right now, then, you know, we've got other things that are priorities or even establishing that early in the process. Again, transparency, empowerment of the team, allowing them, bring them into that, teach them the data, show them what it is, show them how we use it, let them start using it on their own. I think that creates the culture that you want where people are unified. The last thing I'll say about that is it's been an anomaly for me in these environments where things get very contentious between the recruiting department and the HR managers. And there's jokes, right? When all fails, blame recruiting. If it's a great hire, the hiring manager did it. If it's a bad hire, you did it as the recruiter. We all know those adages and we laugh about those, but sometimes that's really true in talent acquisition or as a recruiter. You have the same exact goal as your stakeholder, your hiring manager. And I think we lose sight. A lot of recruiters feel like they work for those hiring managers. They don't work for them, they work with them. They're there to be a guide. They're there to be an advisor. They're there to tell them no. When they say, I want a QA analyst who's going to write their own code and also build hardware for us and manage payroll. No, like that's four or five jobs. You're not going to find that. Or 
we want the best graduates from the best schools and we're going to pay below this. No, that's not how this works. So as a recruiter, you have to build those things. I tell the recruiters that on any team I've ever had, when you go into a meeting with a hiring manager to talk about this, you're the expert in the room. They're not. And you have to remember that. And not in an arrogant, cocky kind of way, but don't bobblehead, as I call it. Like, you know, when they say those things, you just go, okay, and rush to action. Like, really understand what it is. Help guide them. Then you'll find that, and that's where that culture comes in of like, wow, our, our recruiting team is really top notch. They're really good at advising me. I really respect them rather than being viewed as tactical transactions. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now... Back to the show. Once candidates join the organization, that's where it starts getting a bit messier. Because right. I think one of the great things about recruiting is that you've got a nice funnel, right? So you can see stage to stage. It's pretty operationalized. You can see the metrics very clearly. Do you find the same level of data transparency once someone has entered the organization? So even as simple as the first 30, 60, 90 days of on- onboarding onto like ongoing the work that they have from engagement to performance and so on. Yeah, definitely. You have to, to some degree. Now, is it, are you measuring every stage of stuff? Probably not. I I think some managers and some leaders do, but collectively as a company, you have to make sure you're paying attention to certain markers that happen. So we all know when an employee comes in, there's euphoria. They're all excited. They're ready to get to work. And you want to make sure that depending on your culture and depending on your environment, sometimes you want to help a new employee throttle that back a bit. Because, you know, if you don't listen and you don't learn and you walk into an organization then you start breaking things and you become very disruptive. And, and again, that may be the job that may be what they want you to do. But I think where I see people initially, they come in and, and, and they're quick to that. Looking at productivity and looking at what people do in those first windows is really important, that 30-day window. Then you've got the 60 and the 90-day and, and really the 90 day is where it's really good to, to have a survey of some degree, because that's the point when the person that's coming to the organization, they realize the job they had versus the job they interviewed for. And I don't care how clear cut your job is. It's always different. But you want to make sure that you're as close to that as you possibly can. When you're looking at data, you may look at things like, let's take the sales organization, time to ramp up meaning that they're scheduling, getting meetings. Then you want to look at time to bring in new business and proposals and then time to actually close deals. So I I think one of the interpretations of data that I've made over time is when you're looking at an employee, you could do all kinds of different measurements. So you could do employee lifetime value. You could do all these really big, epic things. But that 90-day mark, here's what's happened up to this point. Maybe we expect you to be here. How are you feeling about this? Because at that moment, when that person, if your job is not aligned or it's something you are told through the process and you didn't figure out, that's not something that you normally would have an issue with. It's something grand. Maybe it's environment, culture, whatever that you don't really truly understand. That person makes a decision. I'm going to stick it out for a year or I'm just going to cut and leave now because this isn't what I wanted. So I think going back to that, hiring manager and recruiter have to be very well aligned on profiles of jobs in the organization. We have to be able to tell that culture, talk about our brand, talk about what makes us work. Again, it goes back to transparency. We like to say at Cytel, we're a 35-year-old startup. 
because we're always evolving. Change is necessary. Change is all the time here. So those are things you could get ahead of in the interview process. How do you deal with change? Do you like change? Is it stressful for you? What does this look like? Types of structure that you need, but also as an employer, we have to provide those things to people as well. Yeah, I think that's where it gets a little bit messier because I can imagine once different expectations of people coming in. It's not just about how well you've written out the job description. It's also about the way that they read the job description,、right. the way that the hiring manager communicates the expectations from day one. It's the way that the recruiter might have communicated those expectations in the pre-hire phase. And after those ninety days, the organization might also realize that this guy's got strengths in a different area, and maybe we need to evolve the job a little bit to cater for those、uh, strengths of theirs. It's really dynamic, and I think what I'm taking away from this conversation is having that culture of transparency, having that understanding that we're all working towards the same goal, and laying out what are the metrics that matter to us as a team and as an organization. How are we going about collecting those metrics? If you were advising another chief talent officer in、right. another organization on how do you build this kind of culture around a data-informed decision making, how would you advise them to start? What are some of the steps that they could take? You use a really great term: measure what matters, and you have to be strategically aligned to your organization. I know that word "strategic" gets used a lot and used the wrong way, but really, what it means is. What does the business want to accomplish? And as the leader of the recruiting talent organization, what do I need to show? What do I need to deliver? So I think you have to get aligned on that through the gate. So whether you're interviewing with the company or you're in your role and you want to start over and reboot yourself, get with your executives, talk to the highest level, talk to your CEO, ask them what their vision is, ask them where they see this, why they need this talent. Be able to ask those questions. And then the, the second part is when you start using data. I like to use this statement for myself: Leaders lead other people, and they create other leaders. They carve out space. They give people the enablement and the ability to run and learn and grow. Managers or micromanagers they count things because they can't lead people. So don't have micromanagement through metrics. Make sure that you use extensive data and metrics, but don't use it for evil, as I would say. You're going to monitor performance. You're going to look at number of candidates interviewed, time to fill roles, cost per hire. And these metrics are valuable, but excessive focus on them without considering like quality of hires or the complexity of the process or the roles, it, it can put a lot of pressure on your team in a bad way. And so, be aware of data-driven pressure. If you're in a company that relies on data, like Cytel does, and metrics, you have to realize that can create a really high-pressure environment where. You're asking people to hit unrealistic goals and quotas, and that'll lead to burnout, and your quality will go down too. And and then temper all that with reasonable expectations. Don't be unreasonable. I see some companies they may misuse data to set these unrealistic expectations for recruiters or anyone by comparing their performance or industry performance to industry benchmarks that or competitors, which takes out the unique challenge of your company and your constraints. So be aware of those things, and then just be transparent. Tell your team what you're measuring. Tell your leaders what you're measuring, and let them know at any time you can go deeper. So for me, I know what really turns the needle here is speed, quality, and cost. But speed isn't necessarily time to fill. It's all the pieces in that. Quality is quality of candidate, quality of hire, measuring that, and then cost, like cost per hire. Those are really important things that this organization wants to know. I'll be asked. 
numerous times during a week. Hey, how's this looking? Or where's this at? And what's that do? And it's the ability to interpret that and explain that is really what your superpower will be. It's good advice for anyone, not just in HR. It feels like anyone using data to inform any kind of business decisions. You can't micromanage the metrics. You really have to use them to inform, to to help you tell the story and, and then work around that. That's all the time we have for today. So if people want to find you to talk more about how they can improve the way they, they use data in their HR organization, what's the best way for them? To- you can always go to LinkedIn, connect with me, send me a message. I'm happy if people want to send me an email as well. It's on my LinkedIn profile. It's Tony.Corn with two T's at uh, Cytel.com. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. And for those of you who have been listening, I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, took away quite a few nuggets of data literacy and how to use data in your organization. Tune in next time on the HR Impact Show for more wonderful insights like what Tony shared today. Thanks so much for listening. I've been CT. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.